Good to see you here. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the wonderful truths that we find in your word, uh, all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look into your word, and one verse in particular, Lord, may it, uh, may it bring joy to our hearts, Lord, rejoicing to our hearts as well. And uh, Lord, we, we just give you thanks for this day and this opportunity to once again be amazed at, at your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, the great exchange. I was thinking of calling this the doctrine of imputation about Christ, and uh, I thought that was too long a title. But this, basically, it, it, it sums it all up, the great exchange. I don't know if, if some of you have heard that uh, term before. Uh, some people think of it as the doctrine of substitution. That's partially uh, right. But really, what this is, is one of those promises where when you get a hold of it, when, when it sinks into your heart, and you realize just what exactly happened on that cross, and what exactly happens... Um, to us when we believe on Christ and trust in what he did for us on that cross. And of course, the resurrection, which without him, we have no right standing with God, you know, because he, he did that for us so that we could once again uh, be resurrected with a new body and uh, ultimately, so, and be with God in heaven forever. So, This is the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so the great exchange. It's like, it sounds like something you'd want to know more about. Tell me more. Okay, all right, I will. This is, a, this is a wonderful truth. So, breaking it down a bit, it's a description of God taking the sins of humanity and laying them on Jesus Christ upon faith in Christ. God gives us the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness, in exchange for our sins. And that, that is, I mean, I've been thinking about this verse for quite a long time. And I, I use it on the streets a lot when I'm preaching, uh, because I love it so much, and because it sums up, it almost is like a little gospel in a nutshell. There's a few verses that are very, they sum it up. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And if you can get a hold of that, saints, if you can just, for a moment, or maybe the rest of, the, the, the rest of your life, a tall order, but we think about these things, and, and it is a profound thing, it's a wonderful thing, that he did that for us. And, uh, you know, at one time the high, priest at one, uh, the high priest at one time would place his hands on the head of a goat, symbolizing the sins of the people. And then this goat was released out into the wilderness, and hence the term scapegoat. He carried the sins of the people away. This was called the scapegoat, and it was a picture of what uh, God would do in placing the sins of humanity upon Jesus Christ. He bore our sins. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a, a wonderful quote from R.C. Sproul. It says, The only works of righteousness that serve to justify a sinner are the works of Christ. 
And that pretty much sums it up, right? Because we have no righteousness of our own. Whether you're a king or a queen or a, a, a pauper or, or a lame, it doesn't matter. All throughout humanity, people will stand before God one day. And if they try to stand in their own righteousness, which they don't have, none of us have righteousness. All of us are fallen. Wages of sin is death. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so we need the righteousness of someone else. It's not something that we can purchase on our own. It's not something that, that was purchased for us with uh, two turtle doves or, or 30 pieces of silver. It was purchased by Jesus Christ himself. And in Isaiah 53, 9, we read, and they, made his, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. So how does that affect us? Well... For a lot of people, you know, have you ever heard of the, the phrase tire kicker? A tire kicker? They're not really interested in buying. They're, they're just going. They're wasting their time and the, and the salesman's time if you're purchasing a car for say. And they're not really, it's like, eh. You know, they're just there. It seems to, doesn't seem to really thrill them that, you know, whatever the, what's put in front of them, almost like a, a, a child sometimes when they have a meal in front of them and they start playing with their food and they're, eh, you know, broccoli, eh, yeah. <laughs> but when we look at the cross and we look at Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross for us, have you ever heard a bird sing? Sure you have. I've heard a bird sing. You know what that bird is doing? He's doing exactly what he was made to do. And he's giving God the glory for that. And saints, we have much to sing about. We do. We have a lot to sing about. A great sinner pardon makes a great singer. Whether you sing like a blue jay or a bluebird, it doesn't matter. If your heart is in in tune with what Christ has done for us on that cross, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That what a relief that is. Not only is it a profound truth, it's a relief. Because we, we cannot, we can't store up enough good things or enough good intentions, not, not only to try to outweigh our bad deeds or, our, or the things we've done wrong, we, we, we're bankrupt morally. And as believers, all of us in this room here that have been born again, that know the Lord Jesus Christ, we realize that, that we are, we're poor in spirit. We should be poor in spirit, right? We believe that his blood is untainted. 
He is the perfect sacrifice and his shed blood satisfies the judgment of God to atone for our sin. Colossians 2.14 says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Can you imagine the rejoicing when Jesus Christ suffered and died on that cross in the, in the realm of darkness? And they thought that they had won, that finally God's plan had been put down. And then three days later, he rose from the grave and that, that incredible triumph. For I say to you, this is in Matthew 5.20, this is Jesus saying this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So once again, we see there, you know, a lot of people I've talked to on the street, they, they always profess their own goodness for the most part. Once in a while, you'll run into somebody that says, oh, oh, yeah, I deserve to go to hell. And then I'm intrigued, and I say, well, why is that? Oh, I've done a bunch of bad things. But then they always back it up with, but I've done a lot of good things too. And, and that's the mindset that, that most people have. They somehow think that that's how it works out in, in, in eternity, that God is going to judge us based on how we lived our lives here. And to a degree, that is, that's true. Unfortunately, everyone that gets judged for their life here that's outside of Christ, it's a death sentence. And um, that's why we need the righteousness of Christ. And that's why if, even if someone... You know, something like a Mother Teresa that we would think that is a very noble person, or even a Billy Graham, or somebody that they think, oh, he's done a lot of good things, or this fellow's given a lot of money to the poor. We had one fellow on the street who was boasting about how much money he had given away, and things that he had done, and things that he had built in these other countries uh, to, to help the poor. Those are great things to do, and if we have the means to do that, hey, that's great. We should do that. But those things should issue forth from uh, a gratitude for what God has done, not to somehow bribe God into letting us into heaven. I have a recipe. Take the gospel, mix with faith, add in a full measure of gratitude until it's overflowing into good works, share with as many people as possible. And so I like that. The reason we need his righteousness is because we have no righteousness of our own. And when that priest put his hands on that goat, symbolizing the sins of the nation, the people, it was foreshadowing what would happen on that cross 2,000 years ago for us, where the sins of humanity were placed on Jesus Christ. You know, there was three hours of darkness, and I sometimes wonder on that cross, why was there three hours of darkness? Maybe what was going on there, so, so deep, so profound, so personal, that was between God and Jesus Christ, what was going on there, perhaps. The weight of our sin, your sin, mine, whatever it is, were placed on Jesus Christ so that we could live. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so there on that cross, sin was being condemned. Jesus Christ was standing in our place. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. As the early church fathers delighted in saying, Christ took what was ours so that we might receive what was his. He took our sins. You know the song I sang to me, Lord willing, going to sing it at the end of this. He took our sins and our sorrows. So much in this world, saints, it's, it's a tough slug. And if you're not a believer here, I can't imagine how hard it is for you to somehow figure this whole thing out. But you won't do it without the word of God. You'll never get a right understanding of our predicament, the situation that mankind is in, and especially when you see prophecy unfolding, not only in what we see happening with Israel, but think of the promises that were made since the Garden of Eden, that the seed of the woman, Jesus, is going to crush the head of the serpent, right? He's going to, you know, if you're a believer, you've been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And if you don't know the truth, that without Jesus Christ, there is another way, there's no other way, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And because Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he's a perfect substitute. The, the genius of God in that alone, I mean, I love looking at birds, I love looking at nature. Why? Because the genius, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen that little that little bird, I think it's called a woodcock, that struts when it walks. I don't know if any of you have seen that. I'm thinking, what a bizarre thing to do. That's just one creature, and God built that into that. Or look at a spider, right? A spider, when it's born, it doesn't know how to make a, how does it know to make a, a, a web? No one ever taught it that. It's all pre-programmed. And you know what? When we're born again, we, we, get, we get a new operating system. We don't have the same operating system. We have a nature that now is so inclined to do the things of God that it is radically different from the system that we had before. If you claim to know Jesus Christ, but he has never changed your life, you can be sure you have never met him. It's true. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And there's no going back. Back to what? Why would we want to go back to the things that put Jesus Christ on the cross? 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. When he looked upon his son's suffering, God was satisfied. We see that in Isaiah as well, that foreshadowing. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Well, by believing this truth, 
And what is truth? Truth is that which corresponds with reality, right? We either believe the truth that our sins are gone, past, present, future, all of it, paid for on the cross, never to be brought up for us again. We either believe that truth or we act like tire kickers and we shouldn't because we are free, you guys. If, you, if you've been saved, if you've had your sins forgiven through Christ, we're free. Amen. Here's a recipe. Here's another recipe. It's a recipe for disaster for those that don't know the Lord. Ignore the truth and reality of what happened on the cross when Jesus became sin for us in exchange for his righteousness. Ignore that and die in your sin. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. And for us who have been born again, we know that we're never going to stand in judgment of God for our sins in the sense that we have to pay for them ourselves. Because Christ paid for them on that cross. His righteousness given to us, God placed our sins. Each and every despicable thing we've ever done, Diana, my lovely wife, had a, had a wonderful story that she told me where there's this warehouse. Anybody ever seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, yeah that's right. Some are ashamed, but that's okay. <laughs> Remember at the end where they put the ark, they box it all up, and then they put it in this warehouse, and this warehouse is huge. And they go and they put it in through, I think he had a forklift or whatever, and then down one of the thousands of, of rows or whatever, and it's hidden in there amongst, amongst thousands and thousands of other little boxes. Well, imagine a file room full of filing cabinets, millions of them. And inside each one of those filing cabinets are files, hence the name. And uh, on each one of those, in each one of those files are papers. And each one of those papers represents a sin of someone. And in that entire huge complex of filing cabinets with files and papers and files, all of that, every single despicable thing that humanity has ever thought, said, and done are in there. And in the very, very, very first filing cabinet, there's only one file. And on it is a piece of paper, in it is a piece of paper that says, he paid for it all. And he did. He paid for it all. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, if you can grasp, if you can grasp that, it'll embolden you with the gospel. I have a funny story to tell you. John, we were out on the street on Friday, and this fellow was there, and John, very exuberantly, goes up to him and says, do you know Jesus Christ? And the guy goes, no, but, 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 and he's trying to say, well, I, no, I, no, I, no. <laughs> That's what he finally said. He says, do you know that you have sins? And the guy goes, yeah, but, he, he said, yeah, yeah, but, and John didn't go into or go through the law. He was just there right in front of him like that. And the guy was like, it was like, you could tell he was like, wow, what's happening? He says, do you know that you can be forgiven? But each time he's saying that, he's moving a little bit like this as the guy moves. Do you know you can be forgiven? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for you? So he's going on like that. And then the guy says, 
Well, yeah, you know, well, that, yeah, but you know, I'm waiting for sign, a sign from God. I'm waiting for him to tell me. And I said to him, well, he's telling you right now. <laughs> it was so funny. He took a track. That's great. It was good. So, ha, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Without the great exchange, that's not happening. And when we put our trust in Christ, those sins that were on us, that were placed on Christ 2,000 years ago, becomes effectual. And that means that now God is able to forgive that particular person. And if you've not been forgiven of your sins, your lies, the times you've used God's name in vain, the times you didn't always put God first, that's usually a killer on the street right there. Has God always been first and foremost in your life above all else? No one's ever really, no one's, no, no one's ever said that, that, yeah, I've done that, no. So, if you've broken any, any of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, you will be found guilty. But us as believers, Christ was found guilty in our place. We're not, we're declared not guilty even though we have those sins, but God will never bring those sins up again. They're forgotten as far as the east is from the west. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, dear people that are here, if you've not been born again, humble yourself, get right with God, turn to him, put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Tell him that, that your, your sins are exactly what God says they are that they're wrong in his sight, that they are evil, that they're crimes against God. But you know, when you're born again, when God forgives you, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, God looks at you as his child, not as a guilty criminal. We look upon him as our loving father, and he looks upon us as his child. So, We have much to sing about. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We can thrive knowing our names are written in heaven. How else are we going to glorify God? Every time we remember him, every time we come together like this and we marvel at the cross, we glorify him. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification or to make us right with God. Christ's sacrifice through faith is what Christ did that makes us right with God. We're declared righteous, we're made acceptable, we're brought into right standing with him. We have clean hands, so to speak. Clean hands. If we try to establish our own righteousness, it's like a, it's like a doctor telling you you have, a, you, you, you have incurable cancer. And you say, nah, I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to go home and whip up a nice big batch of chicken soup. That, that'll do it. It's preposterous. And for anyone to try to think that they can somehow outdo the righteousness of Christ, that they're somehow going to stand before God one day 
and be able to stand before him as he manifests every secret sin of the heart and try to justify why we should have a relationship with God. It's not going to work. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Much to sing about, saints. And if you've not been saved, get right with God. Turn to him in repentance and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And you too will have much to sing about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again. Lord, this doesn't do justice to what was done on that cross in any way, shape, or form. But we know, we know, Lord, without a shadow of a doubt, that what was happening on that cross secured our salvation. We couldn't do it ourselves, Lord. Each and every single person in this room, Lord, you know, you know intimately, you know where they are in their hearts with you. Help them to understand what happened on that cross. And we thank you, Lord, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. We're going to sing one song.